Hi, I'm Joe, and this is the Decahedron RPG Podcast. Hey everyone, this is Joe. A couple of weeks ago, I did an episode with James and we did a review of the Frontier Forts of Kelnor. It's a Judges Guild product that lets you generate an adventure based around a fort of some sort from an ancient empire. And then last week, I went through the product and I used all the tables. I let you listen in as I went through all the tables and, you know, got the results and everything. And so this week, the last one of the series is I'm just going to give you the story that I put together for that adventure. I'm not going to go through room by room and list everything. I don't think that would make good listening. I think it'd get old real fast. So I'm pretty much, I'm just going to give you the story and the overview. Now, I already recorded all of that. And when I recorded it, I thought I was going to tack it on to last week's episode. But last week's episode was already long, and this would have made it longer. And each of these on its own makes, you know, the great length for an episode that I shoot for. So here is that recording that I already made. Thanks for listening. Bye. I don't know yet if I'm going to go through every room and tell you what's in every room. I think that could get kind of old to listen to. I'm going to start with the the background. There are some that believe that an adventure, you know, shouldn't have stuff that the players wouldn't know. But I believe that you, all the background should be in the GM's head, the judge's head, seeing that we're using judge's guild product, should be in the judge's, judge's head so that situations come back. It's there for them to draw on and to point to or to hint at or to all that. So I like backstories, even if the players never discover what they are. This backstory is in layers, like an onion, as Shrek would say. So let's start with the deepest layer first. In ancient times lived Triom, a god. Triom loved people, but sadly, he was the god of drought. And wherever he went, the land would dry up, and the rings would stop, and the crops would shrivel and die, and the people would starve. So out of his love for the people, Triom gave his life. And with his death, the land became lush and green, except for the land immediately around his remains. That became known as Triom's grave. The people built a shrine around his colossal skeleton and would travel through the sands, the, the little desert, Triom's grave, to offer him sacrifice. That's the core layer. Let's move one layer out. In time, a distant empire rose and gained control of the area. A fort was built near the shrine. Maybe it was to protect the pilgrims. Maybe it was to tax them. But for whatever reason, it was built. For some other reason, years later, the bones were eventually moved inside the fort. And then, over time, the empire collapsed and time moved on and the shrine and the bones were all but forgotten and Triom's grave just became known as the tiny desert. Let's move one more layer out. Several years ago, in the tiny gnome kingdom of Gnomedale, there was a queen. The queen had a daughter and a younger son, and in time the queen passed from this world and into the next, and, as is the custom of the land, her son took the throne. 
Her daughter, Thorina, was outraged, though. She felt that the throne really belonged to her, being the oldest, and that it was unfair that it should go to her brother simply because he was a male. And she vowed that she would take the throne. But she knew she didn't have the means to do it yet. So she fled into the wilderness, and she took with her a a small band of followers, mainly her handmaiden, Elara, Ecker, the sage, and her personal bodyguard of four gnomish swordsmen in chainmail. Using what money she had, she hired a small contingent of 12 hobgoblin archers in heavy plate and a messenger. Eker, the sage, he knew about the abandoned fort and he led Therina there and they set it up as their base of operations where they would conduct raids trying to raise enough funds to hire a bigger army to enable her to reclaim her mother's kingdom. Okay, let's move out to the outermost layer. The village of Sands End is an old village. It has heard tale of its neighbors, village, neighboring villages being raided and fear is starting to take over. This is the village where the players grew up. Like I said, this was intended as a first level adventure, so it might as well be a starting adventure. And in the village is an old cleric named Gleokas. And Gleokas knows about the old fort. He knows about the colossal skeleton, the remains of the forgotten god, Triom. And he brings the players together and tells them that they must go take care of the situation. But clearly they're not strong enough. So he gives them a scroll that will allow them to raise the remains of of Treom, who will help them in their final battle. All right, so that's the setup. Pretty much the players have to go in with the scroll, uh, take out who they can, and raise the skeleton, well, find and raise the skeleton because they're not going to know where it is. Uh, find and raise the skeleton of the fallen god, and together they will destroy the threat. Yeah, I've already talked about Thorina's motivation there. Uh, her handmaiden, Alara, is very loyal to Thorina, but she's conflicted by this twist of event. She doesn't like how her mistress has been turning to evil ways, uh, chaotic ways, if you will, to achieve her goal. And it's possible that if the players can confront Elara, she might become an ally and help them on their quest. It's also possible that Eker, the sage, could be manipulated to help them. Eker is loyal to himself above all. He sees Therina as a way to gain power. He wants to be the power behind the throne. That's his motivation. He's, he's power motivated. So if the players have somehow something to offer him, he could be to, persuaded to join them. I don't know what they would have. First level characters, what kind of power they could offer him, but eh, you never know. Players are resourceful and clever. So that hook is there for them. Just to go through the map really quick, so Thorina is gathering up uh, supplies and cash 
in hopes of, like I said, raising an army to help her take her brother. Um, so there's 21 areas more or less to go through. Area number one, I'm assuming that you're following along on the map. Area number one is the cellar. It's the big main area of the cellar. There are no people or monsters here. Uh, this is largely supplies are being held down here. Uh, foodstuffs, um, you know, to let everyone eat, tools, stuff like that. Areas number two and three, they are also down in the cellar. They're called crypts. No skeletons here, um, no undead here. I did away with that idea. We, we, we have enough vermin later on, you'll see. Actually, there's four crypts, uh, areas two, three, four, and five. These are, uh, again, they're all gonna be used for storage, weapons, armor, stuff like that. Nothing really great. It'll be worth a few gold each if the players uh, wanna start a moving business and haul it all out back to the nearest uh, town and back and forth, although Sands End is far too small to be able to provide enough money for all that, but that's besides the point. When the players first come in here, you know, assuming it's during the day and it's not nighttime when everyone will be asleep, there'll be a couple hirelings in areas two and three, you know, do inventory, doing maintenance type stuff. Area six is the courtyard. There will be a couple of uh, the medium footmen here, kind of chilling, kind of on guard duty. Area seven is the gate. That will be where the other couple of footmen are. Area eight is the well. Um, the well is in the courtyard, so no specific encounter here. Area nine is the stables. As we said, the stables have been converted to a storage area. This is where the remains of Trium, the god of drought, are. So that is where the players have to eventually find him and read their scroll and do the little ritual to awaken him to help them. Uh, area number 10 is the wall walk, wall walk. It's above the main gate. There's parapets and stuff there. Arches will be up there. So if anyone tries to just come through the main gate, that won't work out very well for them. Uh, area 11 is the ground floor, ground floor of the tower. There will just be uh, a couple arches here chilling more or less so area 12 originally in the map it was a storeroom i said that the commander's here so i moved the commander's office here this is the area right next to the the, the remains so something's up there uh, like i said the commander that's the arena she'll be found here and a pouch she has a bloodstone worth 100 gold pieces that she feels prevents her from bleeding out it doesn't, but, you know, whatever. Uh, area 13, originally also a storeroom, but it's now the sages area. Again, it's right next to the, the remains, so that makes sense. Uh, he is up to something with those. He has his own plan for those uh, remains, that colossal skeleton, but he has not succeeded yet. Area 14 is the mess hall. Elara will be in the mess hall. She'll be... In addition to being the handmaiden, she's kind of like the, the cook for the area. So she's in the mess hall cooking most of the day. In area 15, this is the former commander's office. 
Uh, we said that this was one of the empty areas, so there's no encounters here. However, this will have a strong lock on the door. This is uh, the treasure room, number one, at least. A couple chests in here. One of them contains 650 gold. Uh, another one is a booby trap. It contains nothing. It's just a trapped chest. Uh, I did not use the traps table for that. It's just, you know, uh, she's not completely trusting of everybody, so... Uh, in the other room, the next room is the executive's quarters. Originally, again, we said that one was empty because they want to be near the, the remains. That's why they moved out to those storerooms on the outside. Uh, this is the other room. This one's going to have about three or four chests in it. Combined, they will have 655 silver and 3,400 copper pieces. James, I know you're listening. Before you complain that that's too many copper 3,400 copper pieces, right? So that's 340 pounds. Um, first of all, copper is the most common coin, right? So, I mean, that's what people do for, you know, hand around day to day to buy like their local, their little pint of beer or whatever throughout the day. So that's where you're going to come across the most. And secondly, um, that represents less than 5% of the value of the entire treasure. 95, 90, yeah, 95.6% of the treasure is in silver, gold, and the gems. It's more than reasonable. Anyway, okay, area 17, this is next to the wall walk. This is the, if you're American, this is the second floor of the tower. If you're British, this is the first floor. Um, there's gonna be some archers here. Uh, this is right next to the wall walk. So this is where, you know, archers walk across the wall in the tower and everything. This is where all the arrow slits are, all the parapets. This will let them keep a lookout of things that are happening. Uh, 18 is the barracks. We already said that that was empty, other than it's gonna be a barracks, right? There's gonna wall around the middle. There's gonna be many bunks, more bunks than there are people. This might confuse the players to thinking that there, there are more troops than there are. That's on them. Uh, there will be some hints though, like each bunk will have a footlocker and most of them will be empty. So that should be a hint for the players. Area 19 is the, if you're American second floor, if you're a British third floor of the tower, we said that this area had no ceiling, right? This is where uh, area 20, that way I won't, so I'll talk about them together, I guess. Area 20 had collapsed, right? All the beams had fallen down, the floor had collapsed. And so this room is full of debris and rubble and stuff like that. And within here are several giant centipedes, not giant, large centipedes uh, with a mildly poisonous bite. And section 21 is the roof of the barracks building. Again, it's gonna be more archers. And the messenger is on that watchtower that we said was the other building. And he's pretty much the, the, the lookout. And if he sees anybody coming, he runs fast as heck to let everybody know. I know that was rushed. That's because this is already a long episode. But hearing about room areas, I, I don't know. I think that's kind of boring. I think the backstory is more interesting. But I think you get the idea. That is the frontier forts of Kelnor in action. <sighs> what did you think? Did you like it? There's actually two parts of this question. Uh, part number one is, did you like, do you like the resulting adventure? Do you like the process? Do you think that that makes this a good product? Question number two is, is this good content? Is this something worth listening to? Especially seeing that it went so long. I don't know. I enjoy doing it. 
But because it's gone so long, I'm going to wrap it up. Thanks a lot for listening. Please send us feedback, feedback at decahedron.com or use the Google voice number that's in the outro. It's in the show notes. It's on our website, www.decahedron.com. And also all these places list other ways to give us feedback. Also, uh, remember the play web forum, www.decahedron.com slash boards. Thanks again for listening, and until next week, happy gaming, happy life. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Decahedron RPG Cast. We'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a voice message by calling 562-774-2278. That's 562-RPG-CAST. Or by visiting sayhi.chat slash decahedron. You can also email us at feedback at decahedron.com. Links are in the show notes. For more information, visit decahedron.com. Remember that decahedron is spelled with a K. Music is by Kevin McLeod. Logo is by Design Cat. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, keep those dice rolling.